NL West, SD across the chest, youth movement, really dope ex-prospects, Big Willie, leader of the young pups, they hating on us, watching you them jump up, we ain't care, we ain't scared of nobody, the outfield, mad skills, lottie dottie, Austin Hedges throwing out everybody, we at the ballpark, every game's a party, ignorance is bliss, so we never trip, if the pitching's up the pod, and watch out for the kids, EBT is out here broadcasting, EBT is out here podcasting. Question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them. Question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them. Padres EVT Podcast. Padres EVT Podcast. Greetings and welcome to the East Village Times Podcast. I'm your host, James Clark, and with me as usual is the wonderful Patrick Brewer. I, did you already use wonderful? I don't know if you already used wonderful. <laughs> I don't know, did I? I had to come up with something real quick at the top of my head. Sorry, I wasn't wasn't prepared. Well, I'm I'll, here. I'll be, I'll be more prepared next time. I'm here with the always beautiful James Clark. <laughs> Thank you. I think um, <laughs> greetings, folks. Uh, episode forty-six. Uh, we are going to be joined shortly. Uh, John Conniff's going to be here of Mad Fires, and we're going to talk uh, some Padre draft and a little bit of uh, some Padre prospects here and there. Uh, it'll be a good conversation, I guarantee. Uh, Patrick, let's talk about uh, you know little news and notes, uh, a couple of moves the Padres have made in uh, the last uh, you know last time since uh, since we were last on the air. Yeah, so Jan Harris-Larte obviously strained his oblique before the game on Wednesday. He's been placed on a 10-day DL. Miguel Diaz left the game on Wednesday. He's been placed on a 10-day DL. Um, in their place, they've called up uh, Sanchez, catcher. I guess that's probably just more insurance for Austin Hedges, although he's in the lineup tonight. Um, they also called up Carlos Asuaje, who is expected to get the lion's share of playing time at second in Solarte's absence, which I, I've obviously made the point that I'm really excited about that. I want to see what Asuaje has at the big league level. I know he's been kind of stuck on the second base step chart behind Spangenberg and Schimpf and Solarte and on and on and on and on. There's like a million guys yeah. there. Um, yeah. Also, Zach Lee was activated for AAA, um, so he's going to get back in the fold here. Uh, Jared Weaver made his start last night in AAA. Trevor Cahill started for Lake Elsinore in high A. Uh, Christian Friedrich is going to start for AAA. So one of those three guys is probably going to be the one to take Diaz's spot. Although, as Dennis Lynn tweeted earlier, um, the Potters do have an off day Monday, so they're actually going to skip that spot in the rotation, and they're going to roll with four men. Uh, at least until the Dodgers series when, when they'll need that fifth man. So it's probably going to be one of those three guys. I'd imagine Friedrich because he's already had – this will be his third start uh, mm-hmm. rehab start, although he got hit around a little bit today for El Paso. So it remains to be seen how that goes, but it's going to be one of those three guys. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what uh, Andy Green decides. I, they have some options. Uh, I don't know. We need to get some healthy guys out there. Uh, both Cahill and, and, and Weaver, after a disappointing start last night, it's uh, – it's it's a little sad, but you know it is what it is, right? Oh, it's his catchphrase back again. <laughs> <laughs> we also we also wanted to plug uh, James. He he's the machine man. Oh, he, he man. wrote he wrote a top hundred prospects list that dropped this morning on EastVillageTimes.com. Uh, what was it? Twelve thousand words, James. Yes, I was locked in a cave for about a week. I don't know what day it is. He only came out for podcasts, and here yeah, he is. Yeah, I only came out for podcasts and for <laughs> He just said He just said hi to his family for the first time in a week and a half. Uh, yeah, he's, exactly. He's, he's eaten. He's fed. He's good to go. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be plugging that throughout the weekend. We're also planning, hopefully, to do a uh, 
prospect style podcast on Monday. I don't know if we're going to talk about all 100, but I, I think that's the goal. So <laughs> we'll see how many of those guys we can talk about before we um, die. <laughs> yeah, de- yeah, definitely. A five-hour podcast. <laughs> exactly. James is going to read his article aloud to me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. It's going to be good times. But, yeah, that, that'll be on the docket next week. We also have a few guests lined up. So it should be a good, another good week for content. For sure. Uh, so stay with us. Uh, we will be back shortly. Uh, episode 46 with John Conniff uh, from Mad Fires. He's going to join us. Uh, so stay with us. The East Village Times podcast is sponsored by Original Grain Watches, a local company out of San Diego, formed in 2013. Check them out at originalgrain.com. Welcome back to the 46th episode of the East Village Times podcast. We're joined today by John Conniff of Mad Friars. How are you doing today, John? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. So we're about a little over a week removed from the draft. Uh, Potters have signed, I believe, all of their first 10 rounds of picks. Uh, Mackenzie Gore is slated to sign tomorrow if uh, that report is to be believed. Uh, any thoughts on that, John? You know, we had always heard he was going to sign. It wouldn't be a problem. I guess the whole question just is how much uh, they'll have left over to spend on some of the other picks, 11 through 40, which uh, we'll get into a little later. All right, so let's get into those uh, first 10 picks. But I think before we get too far into the nitty-gritty of the money, I think we should have a conversation about how the slotting system works uh, in the Major League Draft. I know it's a little confusing. Um, other drafts don't really have a similar system. I mean, there's no like set amount of how much money you can give guys for, I believe, any other kind of draft, at least for the four major sports. So maybe get a little more into that and how, how teams are allotted money in, in their bonus pools. Okay, I'll try, and if I miss something, you guys correct me. <laughs> the, there, first of all, there's 11 picks, which I made a mistake of the other day, too, because Padres had a competitive balance pick. Mm-hmm. Major League Baseball slots a certain amount for each level they can sign. I believe the McKenzie Gore one, I don't have it in front of me, it's, it's about $6.6 million, and it goes all the way down to 136000 for number 10. So the interesting thing about this is if you pay – Less for, let's say, McKenzie Gore, you give him six million instead of six point four. That means you have an extra four hundred thousand to spend or go over on some of the other first ten picks, or more importantly, you can go over on picks eleven through forty. Last year in the two thousand sixteen draft, the Padres gave two guys, Jack Sawinski and Ethan Skinder, I think around five hundred fifty thousand and four hundred sixty thousand, which was above the hundred thousand minimum there. So it's it's kind of a weird process, as Patrick was talking about, in that usually you try to pick 8, 9, and 10. They're usually guys that are seniors who have very little, college seniors who have very little leverage, and they'll sign them for like maybe 1000 sometimes or even $5,000 so the teams can save money and have more to spend on high-value high school picks and buy them out of their college commitment. So I hope that wasn't too confusing. Yeah, I think you got the basic idea there. I mean, there, there's a certain amount of money they can spend. I believe it. I believe the Padres' pool was just shy of uh, 12 million. I think it's like 11.8. Um, the Mackenzie Gore slot was just under 6.7. I believe he's supposed to be signing for about seven. I, if I remember correctly, I'm not sure. It was about slot, and also you got to remember one other thing is to make the whole system even a little bit more complex. You can the Padres have 11.8 million. You can go five percent over that without any penalty. So the real number the Padres have is about, I think it's $12.4 million for which I calculated. And if they sign McKenzie Gore for slot, which I think 
John? You lost him. Oh, no. Yes. Oh. <laughs> we lost you again. Is it my computer? I don't know. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah. We just yeah, we just lost you just You can just continue right where you were. I'll just I'll edit it together, not a big deal. Okay. Can so you hear me now? Yeah, so you left off, right? You were talking about the potters had a little extra, 5% extra. Yeah, so they should have about $500,000 extra to spend on guys 11 through 40, and we can talk about some of the guys they might, or you guys can, about some of the guys they might try to sign. Uh, before we get there, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Blake Hunt. He's one of the guys mm-hmm. that signed. He signed about double his slot value. His slot value was 858000 He signed for mm-hmm. uh, $1.6 so the Padres had to, to go over a bit there. I know they went under a bit on the uh, previous catcher they picked, Luis Camposano. He, I think he was four hundred thousand under. So, kind of, what, what do you think went into that dynamic there between drafting those two catchers, and how come Hunt? I know some people might ask, how come Hunt was picked after Camposano, but he actually got less money than him. So how does that play into it? Do you think? Oh man, I wish I had a great answer for you on that. I mean, uh, I think our wives would kill us if we started scouting all the high school and college guys, in addition <laughs> to going out to uh, all the affiliates. <laughs> You know, from what we got from Jim Callis, who we interviewed on Mad Friars before the draft, Ben Davey did a piece with him. Supposedly he had a pretty strong commitment to Pepperdine, and they kind of had to buy him out, and that's the number they wanted. All these guys, before the draft, they have a really good idea of what the money is and whether or not they'll go. So, from what I understand, Hunt's a little better defensively, but not as advanced offensively, while the opposite is true with Camposano. You know, I, th- I think it's interesting that the Padres selected the two catchers right away. I know, I know uh, immediately Padre fans were wondering what's going on. We already have Austin Hedges, the future set. You know, what are we doing selecting two young catchers? But I think the Padres have it right in selecting two 18-year-olds to kind of help mentor all the young international prospects, as well as as well as well uh, Mackenzie Gore, someone that they can grow up with. Um, I'd I love to hear your thought process on uh, on the selection of the two catchers and, and, and you know, what, what uh, A.J. Perler and company were possibly thinking. Well, anytime I've talked, I've done this for a while. So anytime we've talked to people that are scouting directors about how they pick somebody, and again, this is really kind of tough because it, it's counterintuitive, is they always just bang into our heads is that you kind of take the best player that you see available. So if there were four left-handed pitchers that came up and they were the best guys available, you take those guys because these players are so far away from the majors what you really want to do is just accumulate as much talent as you can. So, I mean, according to Callis, Camposano and and Blake were, I'm sorry, Blake Hunt were two of the best catchers in the draft. And uh, also, it's one of the weaker parts of the Padres organization, I think, too, when you go up and down. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And word is that both should should stick at the position, too, which is kind of iffy when you're drafting high school catchers. But both are... are, uh, going to probably stick at the position you know let's move on speaking of catching let's move on to, to johnny hosma who was their uh fourth round selection or fifth round selection out of, out of uh, alaska high, yeah. out of alaska high school uh word is that they're going to move him to catcher as well uh do you think he'll be able to make that transition I've, I've seen a lot of film and read a lot on him and he seems like a real gamer but uh do you think he has the body to hold up to the rigors of uh catching i think that's what they wrote before the draft one of our writers david jay actually was out in arizona and I don't think he was with the catching. And I think just because they got two high-round catchers, I think they're going to probably keep him at third base. Okay. Catcher would okay. probably be something in the back. I mean, the problem with so many of these guys who do draft analysis is 
there's just so many players and, and so many organizations that it's, you know, it, it's hard to do this. I mean, I couldn't imagine trying to be an expert on 30 different organizations and a couple hundred guys. I think it's seriously, tough. seriously. Yes. Yeah. The thought of keeping, I guess, 500 or so names in your head just kind of it seems oh. daunting <laughs> to me. Like whenever I talk to like any of these guys that do this, for a living it's it's just insane that they can pull all this knowledge out of their head i mean they i'm sure they have it all written down on paper on spreadsheets and yeah. all this stuff but it's, it's just and, and then reset every year which is amazing and then they reset every year almost which is which is yeah, another it's like, daunting it's like task here in like one or two weeks we're going to start thinking about 2018 they got to have all these other names it, in their head. exactly it's, well it's, in my experience there's only about two or three there's only about a handful of guys that actually do it i mean i think a lot of guys kind of fake it or you know they yeah, watch a video yeah. i mean mm-hmm. you know the main thing is that you guys would know as well as as we would you only have so much money and i mean the mlb pipeline they have pretty much an unlimited budget baseball america has a decent one and the rest of these guys just you know they don't have the money you know it takes a lot of money to say i'm gonna fly out to alaska and go scout johnny hosma for a couple of days and <laughs> might be a fourth yeah. round pick and then I'll fly over to Hawaii and look at uh, Kentio. I mean, so, you know, there's a limit. And a lot of people kind of give them, you know, I've I've known people that have gone to spring training. And if you're at spring training, you're on the backfields, there's well over 200 guys. And if you sit there and say you went to eight camps and you're portraying like you've seen all these different guys in the minor leagues, I think you're kind of full of it myself. But uh, we'll see. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. (laughs) All right, so... I think the Potters have more or less signed most of those first 10-round picks, as I mentioned. Um, right. what, what I'm seeing is most guys are under slot, save for Blake Hunt, and I believe Sam Keating signed for 900000 with a $400,000 slot. So mm-hmm. do, do you see where do you see this money going? Any guys that stand out to you maybe in the later rounds? I know, uh, what's his name? It escaped. Daniel Cabrera is a guy that's, that's talked about a lot um, as a potential guy that they need to throw a lot of money. I know he's already committed to school, and he's already – tweeted that he was going to school more or less so any thought on whether they could sign him everybody is again i'm I'm getting this all secondhand guys uh from what i understand from both callus and manuel he's a lock to go to lsu the guys that are probably the two guys that would be my guess that would be likely to be amenable to money being thrown at him is cole bellinger the brother cody bellinger who was out in the phoenix area and uh, joey cantillo left-handed pitcher from Hawaii. And I mean, the thing that I think people should do when you look at it is kind of what you guys have been saying is you don't go on MLB tracker and and don't look at the rounds, look at the money that's Mm -hmm. been kind of thrown at these guys. And you'll look at a guy like Johnny Hosman is a good guy that you brought up. He's going to get 250,000 as a signing bonus. The, The amount that people are getting who sign 11 through 40 is 125,000 tops. And most of them won't get that. Mm-hmm. And in order to get more in that, then you have to have an extra left, which Patrick was talking about, left over from the top. So a deal for Hosman is making a smart decision. He's getting twice the amount most of these guys would, and he's getting to start his career. And on top of that, when you talk to these guys, all of them have written in their contracts that they have four years of school paid for if they don't make it in baseball until they're about 35 years old. Really? So how I – yeah. I never so how even I knew would that. <laughs> As someone who just finished paying off my graduate school loans, which was not a painful <laughs> experience, is, um, you know, if Hosma, let's suppose Hosma doesn't make it and he gets bounced out of the system in three years. 
there's worse things in the world to go back to college at 21 with all your school paid for yeah. and about $100,000 in the bank. Yeah, that's not a bad deal at all. I mean, I wish I could play baseball. <laughs> I wouldn't be you good can, enough to but... make. I wouldn't be good enough to make it. But <laughs> what do you think about that, James? Yeah, I think uh, it's back to the drawing board for you and I. Uh, maybe this well, podcasting thing will work out. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, John. There's one other factor too: is you got to remember, on major colleges, they only have 11.7 scholarships for the whole team. So no one is getting really a full ride. They're getting parts of it. So yeah. that's another big reason why a lot of these guys go early. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you guys. Oh no, no that's, that's you, fine. <laughs> you make a great you make a great point though. If it doesn't work out for them, they'll be in their young their you know their early 20s and, and they have their whole life ahead of them. And yeah. and uh, college education can definitely help direct them and, and steer them in the in the path that they they want to be in life. Another um, option is too is guys you guys follow minor league baseball like like we do is that. It's it's a it's a game. A lot of your value is based on how old you are. So a good example is like Michael Geddes and Lake Elsinore. You know he'd be in his junior year at Georgia, and he already has about fifteen hundred at bats and a lot of experience. And it just gives you more time in case something happens. I mean, if you're a college junior, or college senior, you really have to move fast, or you're kind of screwed. Yeah, no, you, you make a great point. It, it, age does dictate a lot uh, as far as value and, and whether they're willing to be patient with, with certain players. I mean, I'm sure the Padres would love to forget he's to, to, you know, fix his plate discipline issue, but they also take in consideration what you say, that he should be a junior in college and, you know, it, the experience and and the positive out, outweigh the negatives at this point you know, oh, yeah. with someone like him. Uh, you know, speaking of athletic center fielders, let's talk about, Mason Howes, who's uh, someone who's intrigued me. I don't know if you've seen a lot on him. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the uh, the center fielder. David saw him. Uh... Oh, we lost him again. <laughs> yeah, but at least there was a beginning. Of question, John. <laughs> yep, I'm here. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, we just lost. Are, are you right okay? At, right, yeah. yeah, we just lost you right at your answer. So you can okay, start, I'll try it again. Start from the beginning. Yeah, I'll, we can just start. Yeah, exactly. I'll start from the beginning. Yeah, David okay. J was out there, and he saw him recently. Um, he loved his swing. He probably is more of a corner outfielder, from what I understand, than a center fielder. And okay. they have a lot of really good young center fielders in the system, and we can chat about that some, too, if you want. Okay. You guys okay? James. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you. <laughs> okay. Did I lose James? You're gonna now? have some editing to do, Patch. <laughs> yeah, jeez. Hey, it's fine. It's not. It's not that hard. It's just cut it here, place it there. Yeah. Good okay. to go. <laughs> Did, I cut out. I cut out there for a second too, right? Yeah. I yeah. Usually, I, yeah. We like you didn't respond, and I was like, "Oh, was I supposed to jump?" In? Yeah. No, I I was talking, and I'm like, "Yeah, no one's talking back to me." Oh man. Uh, All right. I, I think we just got a classic Skype connection right now. Is what's it, going it's on? It's cool, man. I, most of the time I don't have to edit anything, so once in a while it happens. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So, what do you want to do? Move on from the house question? Do you want to jump in with something now, Patrick? Uh, we we finished with house, so I'll, I'll jump in here. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, let's see. Well, now I have a minute to think about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually want to talk a little bit about Sam Keating. I wanted your thoughts on him. Uh, he signed a little over slot. Um, kind of. What do you think the potential is there? I know there's been some that think he can stick in a rotation. What are your thoughts? 
you know, it's really just too, too early. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I'm sorry, that's kind of a bit of a dodge. It's my fault. But <laughs> we're going to see these six guys. They're going to be in the Arizona League the, the whole year. And I mean, we're, we plan on sending out either Kevin Charity or David Jay again, and they'll see him for three or four games. And we'll get an indication. With pitchers, what they really do is they work these guys, probably the high school guys, at least a month on the side. They look at their mechanics, and then, you know, they'll pitch them for about two or three innings. Next year, they're probably going to even keep these guys back in camp because the last thing you want to do is put a high school kid out there and have them throw 150 innings, which you see now. <laughs> yeah. They'll probably start them out there in, like, late May or early early June. That'll probably be for Mackenzie Gore, too. So people, again, you know, you guys are reading the same stuff that I am. And people who are making these projections, I mean, it's like throwing a dart at the wall. I mean, it's a guess, and they kind of should admit it's a guess. And that's kind of one of the neat things about the baseball draft is, you know, when I listen to um, 1090 and I listen to Marnie Caswell on the Darren Smith show, and, you know, she talks about all the different picks like the Chargers made, about 1 through 14, and if they should have taken this guy or this one. And I follow the baseball draft pretty close. And if you asked me last year on, like, Reggie Lawson, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give, be able to give you guys anything on him. I mean, I'd say he's right-handed. He's from the Inland Empire. It's only what I read. The thing about the baseball draft is so, it's so hard to really have a comment on whether the guy is good or bad because you just don't know. It's not like the NBA draft or, or, or NFL where you have all these guys who have watched play in college. So when you start comparing – the level of analysis, until we see these guys out there, I mean, we can kind of go off what we read, but my opinion is about the same as your guys. Yeah, it's kind of hard to project, yeah. especially with the uh, high school pitchers. I mean, if you, look oh, at Tom- yeah. if you look at Thompson and Lawson, we didn't really see them in, in actual, like, full-on game action until, what, like a month ago? So that was almost right. a year out of the draft. So it could be a similar story for Keating and some of these other high school arms. Um, I had one more kind of big draft topic I want to talk about. Uh, I wanted okay. to talk about your thoughts on drafting Gore over McKay and if you think that was the right call. And I guess Kyle Wright was there, too, as an option. So do you think that was the right call to make? Is, is that a call you would have made if you were in that spot? I know that's kind of putting you on the spot a little here. <laughs> I, I can do this. I trust – I know I've known Jim Callis for a while and John Manuel, and they both have seen a lot of Mackenzie Gore. Mm-hmm. And if you read the article that we had on Mad Friars, they both liked him more than they did Hunter Green. Yeah. And the thing about Brendan McKay that I thought was – he was a left-handed pitcher who throws about 90 and 91. Mm-hmm. And he had some value, of course, as a hitter. But I kind of wonder if more of a value is placed because he can do both of them as compared to doing one exceptionally well. And when we interviewed Mark Connor before the draft, he went into some pretty long descriptions about Hunter Green. He went in a long description about Mackenzie Gore. And remember, the Padres drafted Brendan McKay, and it was a, a pretty short answer. I mean... I, I think they liked him, but not. He would have been about the number four, number five choice. It's it's interesting that they went with with McKenzie. I think you know we talked a little bit about the upside with high school arms and the uncertainty. Um, you know, I'd like to transition from that into Austin Smith, who was someone who was ironically uh, AJ Preller's first draft pick uh, in right. two thousand sixteen, no fifteen. Right. Um, He's kind of regressed. Um, have you seen a lot of him? And 
you know, he's been very kind to our site and to me specifically. I still talk to him occasionally. Um, he, he, the kid has a good head on his shoulders. I, I see some some thoughts or some some people writing about you know whether or not his heart is in it and stuff like that. I, I'm kind of torn about what the, what's the problem here with him because he's still physically able to pitch, but you know, of course, the mental side does factor in the game. Well, and I've seen him in Fort Wayne. Physically, he's a he's a specimen. I mean, he's a big, strong kid, and that's kind of what got him drafted. Uh, he just he just hasn't really mastered uh, the three pitch mix. They've mm-hmm. sent him back to Tri Cities. They want to get start him as a relief pitcher. He's a uh, he's always been a very nice, polite person to us too. Um, he's kind of in a tough spot because they have a lot of starting pitching talent. I don't think he's going to get another shot at it. And, uh, you know, I, I wish him the best or hope, but I know he got hurt the other night in Tri-Cities with his, I think he had some strained part of his leg. And, um, you know, he's still very young. Yeah, and he still is young, and, and there's still a chance that he, you know, rediscovers himself possibly in the, in the relief role. But I, I was just curious if you had picked up anything. I know there's always been issues with his secondary and, and refining that, and it, it's it's just yeah. a shame that he, he hasn't been able to progress because, you know, you hit the nail on the head. He's a nice kid, and, you know, I wish him the very best for sure. I thought his biggest problem was fastball command, and if you have a problem with fastball command, it's going to be a, a long, hard road. I mean, yeah. if you can command a fastball, but you got problems with the secondary pitches, you can do a lot of things, but you, you got to throw strikes, and he's had some outings in Fort Wayne where he's looked good, but he's had many more bad ones, and it's kind of his second goal round there, and most people don't really get a junior year and with the tin caps, so yeah, yeah. we'll see how it does. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's move on to Buddy Reed, who's another prospect who I'm, I'm mm-hmm. intrigued with. Uh, you know, huge upside. Um, have you seen a lot of him, and uh, what can you tell us about the uh, young outfielder? When I was in Fort Wayne, he was on the disabled list. I did see him a lot in Tri Cities last year, okay. and I interviewed him too. Uh, uh, again, I, I like all these guys, so unfortunately, you're going to hear me say "nice kid" a whole bunch of times. Uh, <laughs> he's got a he he's a very gifted athlete in an usual mix in the soccer and hockey. The thing I kind of wonder about Buddy Reed, though, is kind of one of the things uh, Chris Goff, who writes for the Fort Wayne Journal Gazette, brought up is I'm not sure he's going to be able to hit. I mean, when people talk about he's kind of focusing on baseball now more. He, he plays at the University of Florida, an SEC school, and focusing on baseball for all three years. So that's kind of a concern. But the other one is that with someone with that amount of athletic ability, you kind of want someone like that in the minor leagues because, you know, if he can figure it out, he has a lot of value. And there's there's quite a few guys the Padres have kind of taken that approach with in, in the minor leagues, which is really interesting. It seems like the Padres have a lot of fourth outfielder types that if they can learn how to hit, they're going to be like starting outfielders or is that just me? (laughs) So if, if you look at, if you look at someone like Michael Geddes, I mean, if Michael Geddes who was injured a little bit in April, he's looked healthy. Now, if he can get the hit tool down, he probably has more raw talent than Hunter Renfro, but you know, that's a big if. So that's how you got to kind of look at it a little bit. I mean, I think Reed has further to go than Gettys does. Yeah, I think Gettys could be a, a great player if he can 
hit at oh, all. Yeah. I mean, he's got such speed and great defense and such raw power. I mean, he's got he's oh, really a five tool player. Yeah, he's yeah. got a hell of an arm too. You see that guy. Yeah, he's a five-tool player if he could just oh, yeah. hit for anything at all. <laughs> kind of like Austin Hedges almost. Like, if he can learn how to hit, he's going to be a heck of a ball player, but that's a big if. Um, yes. I, w- I want to talk a little bit more about the uh, Tri-City Dust Devils. They've gotten off to, I believe, a 7-1 and one start, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. So they've, they've looked really good, mm-hmm. a lot of offense. Uh, a couple good right. pitchers to watch there. we got Morahone, Henry Henry, which, God, that's a great name. Uh, Osvaldo Hernandez looked good in his first start. I, I wanted your thoughts on, on that team as a whole and what guys you're kind of – looking out for well you know as as a lifetime lifelong Padres fan one of the things I, I do notice is they got two of the four of the highest bonuses the Padres have ever get in the history on that team mm-hmm. you know, Morahone who they got 11 million dollars to 22 with a penalty and uh, Luis Almanzar a shortstop who they gave 4 million to so those are two guys I really want to keep an eye on they have a very good defensive infield. They're going to rotate the shortstops around a little bit. It's from what Sam Ganey told us. We should see a few more guys. Don't expect to see anyone right from the draft in the first six picks. Um, one dark horse who's really kind of neat is Jalen Washington from Ohio State, a late-round pick. He just got moved up there. He was a catcher at Ohio State, and he had been a, a shortstop his senior year catcher's junior year and when he was out there with the Padres then I'm working at both catcher shortstop and left field and center so I think that's kind of a neat combination big question with him is if he can hit yeah I think the Tri-City Dust Devils have quite a few guys worth watching I know they have like it seems like they have like five shortstops right they got Justin Lopez Kevin right. Melian Luis Almanzar yeah. <laughs> they're just kind of loaded with shortstops at this point um, any other guys you think stand out? I, I know I'm looking forward to seeing Trey Carter. He's another one of those toolsy center field types that if he can figure out the hit tool, he could be he could be something worthwhile. Yeah, he had some health problems, which kind of held him back from playing until August. Mm-hmm. And when he, he, he did really well, that's a guy who Sam Ganey, when I did a preseason uh, preview of, the, of uh, the Dust Devils, he really liked him a lot. And he's a guy that could really, I think, sur- surpass uh, – Buddy Reed, but you know we'll see. There's a lot of really good guys. There. I'm looking forward to going out there. Nice, yeah. There's so much talent on the on this team. It's it's amazing. I mean, it's just it's it's really is a good time to be a Padre fan. Um, you know, I was wondering if you've seen anything from uh, young pitcher Michael Baez or Michelle Miliano. If you've uh, seen them in person or heard anything about uh, both those youngsters. I saw Baez in spring, and as I said. Uh, I keep giving David too much credit. I, David just saw him recently when he was out in Arizona. Baez is a beast. He's six foot eight. He's a solid two thirty, and his whole thing was he improved his fastball command a lot and extended. He should be out there pretty quick. Another guy to keep an eye on is Ethan Skinder. He's an infielder. Uh, he should be out in Tri Cities pretty quick. He was a, a big bonus guy from twenty sixteen. Uh, the other pitcher that you mentioned, I haven't seen him that much. I'm sorry on that one, James. Okay, no worries. You know, it's it's tough to keep up with all these youngsters, and you know that's a good thing. AJ Pro is keeping us on our toes. That's for sure. I mean, there's so oh. many of these young these young pitchers. Um, is there anybody in particular that you think's uh, flying under the radar right now as far as Padre prospects that we haven't um, heard too much about at the upper levels? I'm not sure how much under the radar he is to. A lot of us geeks who follow the the minor leagues that much, but I think Michael Kelly in San Antonio, who was a 2011 okay. first round pick, 
you know, whenever I've gone out there, the bullpen catches the voice that he has the best stuff. He's really kind of gotten his fastball command down. I mean, he's 6'5". He's a very solid 225. He should be going up to El Paso, I think, after the Texas League All-Star game. And he's someone who could be in San Diego. So he's a little bit under the radar. And, uh, of course, I was really glad to see how well Frenchy Cordero's been playing with a big team. Yeah, I agree that Kelly doesn't get as much attention maybe as he deserves. I know most people will say the Padres, uh, minor leagues, all their pitching is in, in the lower levels. But I think between Kelly and Loy, they have two guys that have some potential there. I know Kelly's been really solid this year so far. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to that promotion, hopefully in the next couple weeks as well. Um, yeah, Lloyd's a fun guy too. So I wanted to put you on the spot a bit here. Um, uh -oh. Now that we're post-draft, uh, I wanted an idea of, of what your top five Padre prospect list looks like and uh, kind of where Mackenzie Gore would slot in. If he's outside of that five, where would you put him? Well, you know, here I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. Is that <laughs> Even though the prospect lists that we do on our site always get the most clicks and they're, they're great to do and People they're fun. People love lists. <laughs> But I think they're a bunch of BS, and, and because all they are is it's not really an apples-to-apples -apples comparison. Mm -hmm. and, and in this way, I'd look at it. If the three of us went out to Tri-Cities and we saw some 19-year-old guy throw 96, flash mm -hmm. a good curve and change up, strike out about eight guys in five innings, but give up three home runs and walk about four, we'd probably be pretty excited. We'd say there's a lot of potential. Mm -hmm. If we go up to AA and the same guy's 22 now, we're not that excited. It's more about performance. So always what someone looks like what they could be, there's always many more of those than the guys that are actually performing. And also the prospect list, since you guys do this as well as we do, they all depend upon if you're more of a ceiling or floor guy. So to try to answer your question, uh, I'll give it a shot. If I had to say who I think the top prospect is and just on ceiling, I'd go Fernando Tatis. I think he could be a, uh, a Corey Sager, he has the potential to be a Corey Sager type player, a 6'3", 215-pound power hitter who can play shortstop. If I had to go on on four, who I think would make it and be effective, I think Eric Lauer is pretty much pretty close. He could kind of fit in the middle rotation and do well. Mm -hmm. And if I had to kind of go in between on both, I'd probably go someone like Cal Quantrill. So, I, again, it really depends upon... I would advise people not to do what I used to do. Would look at a list, look who where the guy is ranked, and call the writer an ass because he can't <laughs> figure out those are the guys where I want him. It just depends on you know if you're more of a ceiling or floor person. Yeah, I think that's true. It's just depending on, on where you see these guys and then who I guess you see as being either good in the long term or at least good in the short term. I mean, for me, I like I probably like Luis Urias better than anyone else because he's. He's already showed what he can do at a higher level, and the rest of those guys are all on the minor levels. So obviously their ceiling, I think, far exceeds Urias, especially Tatis. But at this point, it's hard to, to dream on Tatis, I guess, because he's so far away. I mean, still three, four years down the line. So for Urias, I think it's more of a – maybe just for me, I'm more of an immediate satisfaction kind of guy. So I, I like him a little better in that regard. Well, you, know, you shouldn't apologize for that because I think one of the worst statements that's come out is when people say, you know, you're scouting the stat line. And I mean, essentially, when you look at it, what makes someone good in baseball is consistency yeah. over a 100-game series, a season. So I could go out and see someone for four games. They could look great. But, you know, unless those tools play on a regular basis, you know, it doesn't really matter. One reason why Urias is really popular is 
he's done it for a while. He's doing it at a higher level, and he's 20 years old. He's a plus defender at second base, and he can hit. He can put the he can put the barrel of a bat on just about anything if you see him play enough. Yeah, I think I've just seen nothing but results for him and, and these other guys. Obviously, they're, they're getting there as well, but they're still at the lower levels, and there's still so much time for them to grow and, and mature. And I think, yeah, Quantrill, Espinosa, um, those guys have obviously sky-high ceilings. Same with Tatis, but Urias so far has shown that he's, I guess, capable of reaching a higher level. So I, I'd be more on yeah. that boat, but that, that's fair enough. I could see Tatis is a guy I like a lot, and, and I think probably by the end of the year, if he's still hitting the way he is at, at his age, I think he's a guy that definitely moves up lists, although, like you said, it's really just a matter of preference. Yeah. I mean, you, when you watch him play, I mean, there's he still makes routine errors. He's, he gets a little bit jumpy on his plate discipline. Mm-hmm. But then again, I mean, he's 6'3", 200. He's 18 years old. And he's hit about two of the, the biggest, home, longest home runs in Parkview history. And very, uh, very intelligent, good guy, realizes what he has to work on. And but you know there's a lot to dream on. He, he's far away, um, and that's really hard to to value what you like more, like what you can definitely see fitting in on the big league club or what eventually could. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, do you think do you do you see Mackenzie Gore in the top five for the team? Yeah, but you know that that's a tough thing. You know, I, I was I used to be I still am pretty good friends with Kevin Goldstein, who used to be. Um, run Baseball Prospectus site and did the Padres for Baseball America. And every year he would always have, whoever was the first round pick, a guy was in the top ten. And it was all on ceiling what he could do. I mean, he had Donovan Tate as the number one guy. And so when I look at a high school guy, you know, San Diego's going to give this guy, I think as Patrick said, which I agree with, around $6.8 million. But it's really hard for me to, you know, just fit him in with guys that have been doing this for three or four years, you know? Yeah, no, I, that's certainly understandable. I mean, he is 18, and, you know, although the upside is, is unlimited, Tremendous. there is, you still have to see him against uh, live pitch or live hitting and, and hitters that have uh, developed and that are uh, the best at, at their age. So we'll just have to see for sure. Uh, the last question that I have for you is, uh, you know, Jan Hervis or Solart, they just went on the DL. Uh, Padre fans are going to see a lot of Carlos Suave in the next uh, 10 days to uh, possibly a couple weeks. Um, give us a little bit of a, a report on, on Suave and, and what fans have to look forward to in seeing this uh, young left-handed hitter. Well, I didn't rank him in the top 30 uh, when he first came over, which was a serious mistake by me. And uh, <laughs> so, and I, he had fun teasing me about that when I interviewed him in El Paso. He's a left-handed hitter. He can play he's can play a little bit of third mainly he's a second baseman he can put the bat on the ball very well will take a walk he has more power than a as a small guy that you would think uh the, he hasn't had as good a year as he obviously did last year uh, he's someone to watch i mean he's uh i don't see him as a big part of the future right now but uh you know i could definitely be wrong yeah, I think he's pretty much buried behind the second base depth at, at this point with uh, yeah. Urias breathing down his be- neck right now at this point. Oh, very uh, much so. It, it'll be interesting to see what the team does in, in the next you know, 12 to 18 months with the second base position in particular because they have a lot of options uh, to choose from. Oh, yeah. Um, 
Patrick, uh, anything else uh, for John before we let him go? Yeah, I just wanted to actually talk about Aswahe a little bit. I don't remember who I talked to this about. I talked to someone on Twitter about this. I'm not sure who. But we were looking at Carlos Aswahe's BABIP from this year compared to last year. Mm-hmm. And his BABIP's about 100 points below what it was in 2016. So maybe that's some of the regression there. I know he's, his batting average has dropped by about 70 points. So that could be at least some of the cause. Not sure if that's just um, odd fluctuation from season to season or if maybe that's a new profile for him. I know BABIP's kind of a up and down sort of thing. You can't really predict it. Sometimes it, it bounces around. So that's just something no, to that's consider with him. Point. I mean, um, his, his his on-base percentage has been pretty good this year. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's been fairly solid. Yeah, uh, I think it's right know, about where he was last year as well. So. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you one more question. I wanted to just sure. get an idea of who your favorite prospect is. doesn't have to be the guy you think is the highest ceiling or most talented. Just who do you enjoy the most for whatever reason? A big difference between doing the minor leagues compared to the major leagues is all the players really enjoy being interviewed and talked talk to so as they get older it's kind of fun like nick torres is a guy who i've interviewed at four different levels i know his wife and he's a lot of fun to joke around with um but you really everybody's always very nice to us so uh it's like picking your favorite kid how about that that's a nice cop out (laughs) (laughs) my thought exactly not not picking any favorites here There you go. Well, thank you so much, John, for, for joining us. We, we love the work you do with Mad Friars. I mean, you guys are, are on, on the ball. You guys have been, you know, writing about the team forever, and, and we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us uh, and uh, review some Padres information with us. Hey, well, thanks a lot for having me, and uh, sorry for the spotty uh, Skype reception tonight. I hope this works out for you guys. <laughs> we appreciate it, John. Patrick's a whiz with the production, so I'm sure he'll get it done. Good job, Patrick. Good luck. I, I got this. <laughs> All right. Take care, John. Take care, guys. Thanks again. Thank you. Well, there you go, folks. John Connor from Mad Friars joining us on our 46th episode, talking a little Padres baseball with us. It's nice to hear uh, his thoughts on some of the draft selections and some of the prospects that are coming up. Uh, you know, it, it's always good to talk to John. Uh, would you say, Patrick? Yeah, John, he does great work. David does great work. Kevin, uh, all the guys over at Mad Friars do great work. Um, I recommend everyone subscribes to their content. I subscribe, and it's it's well worth it's well worth the money for sure. Definitely. Uh, well, folks, thank you so much for joining us on episode forty six of the East Village Times podcast, sponsored by Original Grain Watches. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we will be back shortly, uh, probably next week. We have a. We have a couple of guests uh, in order, and uh, go Padres. EBT is out here broadcasting. EBT is out here podcasting. Question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them. Question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them. Padres EBT podcast. Padres EBT podcast.